Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John Von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today we're joined by Martha Levy. Martha is the Artistic Director of the Steppenwolf Theatre Company in Chicago. You have been that for the last decade, I'm told, Martha. Yes, yes. Why don't we get started very briefly, like a 25 words or less type of description of what Steppenwolf is for those people who have heard the name Steppenwolf but may not be familiar with what your theatre company does. We are celebrating our 30th anniversary as a theatre company. Our company was begun by three actors, Gary Sinise, Terry Kinney, and Jeff Perry, in 1976, quickly grew to an ensemble of nine, including those three founders, and has incrementally grown over our 30 years to a 35-member ensemble comprised of principally actors, but directors, playwrights, and uh, adapters for of text to the stage. In this 30th year, you've done something that's fairly remarkable for a major regional theater company in the United States, which is you, as the artistic director, made the decision to program an entire season of premieres. Most regional theaters do a couple of premieres and figure out how to sprinkle the greatest hits of world drama around it to make it palatable. How did you decide to make this leap, and in the midst of this season, how's it going? It's Well, it's going very well. And the, the decision was made really, Howard, because we thought, gosh, how are we going to commemorate the 30th anniversary of this company, which has a fairly unique position in the American theater insofar as it having been originated by actors, and I myself am an actor, not a director, and continue, it ca- continues to be artistically run and managed by actors. And the decision was that over the last, particularly 10 years, Steppenwolf, in addition to finding work for our actors and our directors, has made a very serious effort to commission new work and to be a kind of home for playwrights as well. And we thought, rather than look backward and, and, and do something retrospective in honor of the 30th anniversary, that we would look forward. And, and that we felt we had a very privileged position in the field because of the theater's we have many of the artists have careers that are outside of Steppenwolf and include very prominent positions in television and film, and we thought that that gives us a kind of leverage or a platform. And wh- how we wanted to use that was to launch new work. And what's been the response from the audience? Well, I've been delighted for one thing because this season we we made the decision to include post show discussions six days a week, and so I and other members of the artistic staff have been conducting those. And because it's new work, the conversation that it engenders with our audience is really vigorous. And I'm I'm always really impressed by the candor and the intelligence of our audience in responding to new work. And I think they're very excited at the prospect that they are the first people to interact with these texts. Well, the current season runs through the end of August, and if I'm looking at this correctly, you have quite a few different brand new productions that have not been mounted before. How many different shows are you producing this season? Gosh, we have five on our subscription series. We do two through Steppenwolf for Young Adults, which is work for younger audiences and families. We have a garage series. Uh, One of those is a standalone production, and then we do a Uh, something called the First Look Repertory of New Plays, three plays in rotating rep. We're also this year in our upstairs theater, which is a 300-seat theater, doing Don DeLillo's new play, Love Lies Bleeding. And that's a pretty big number of of different productions for one company in in, in a season. Right. It seems like. Right. But you're an ensemble company, which means people do different things. You've acted in a number of shows yourself, plus you're their artistic director. Right. 
and 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 some of our members are directors as well as actors mm-hmm. and some of those for instance Austin Pendleton who begins rehearsal on February 28th that I'm sure is known to many of you here particularly in the New York theater for his career here and in also in film um, Austin is directing a new play by John Colvenbach. He had, and he's act he had, about a month after he uh, finishes, or actually shortly after he, that play opens, he'll begin rehearsing as an actor in the garage for a new play by novelist Cormac McCarthy called Sunset Limited. And Austin has also, of course, done as a playwright. His work has been produced at Steppenwolf. Well, you. Your name is the Steppenwolf Theater Company. There are many theaters that that you hear theater company at the end of their name. But as you've alluded to, there really is a Steppenwolf company. There is this group of actors. Right. What is the process of becoming a member of the company? How does one do that? As you say, it grew from the original core of three to then number and now number is about 35. Right. So so how does one become a member of the Steppenwolf Theater Company? Very arcane initiation ritual. No, it it, it it's the, the the basis has always been that there's a compatibility based on repeated artistic um, experiences together and Actually, there's nothing programmatic about it. It's just that an actor or a director will work with us and and work with us again. And there seems to be both an artistic and a kind of larger compatibility, uh, particularly as it dedicates itself to the ensemble process. And then we add them. Well, there are 35 members of the company. Are all of the plays written and produced by members of the company? Or are they outside people as well that you invite in? Outside people as well, yeah. And the same for cast members, actors? Right, right. I mean, outside people in that we work with directors who are not necessarily members of the company and right. certainly playwrights and actors as well. And, and, and as you said, John, because we have three stages, our downstairs, our upstairs, and our garage theater, and a program of approximately 14 productions a season, we, we definitely draw from a large pool of actors, particularly in the Chicago area. And Chicago is blessed with really wonderful theater artists. I would suppose anybody who's even semi-serious about theater in the, in the Midwest certainly knows how to get in touch with you folks. Is there any uh, particular procedure if people want to either act or submit works to you or whatever? Well, yes, there's a process particularly for new work, and all of that information is available, of course, on www.stepmolf.org. We have a really great website, and uh, on it you can see how to gain access both as a playwright and uh, an actor or a director. Well, this company, it's really extraordinary, and we keep mentioning some names, and certainly some of them have become very famous names. Gary Sinise, one of the founders, John Malkovich, one of the original company members, then people like uh, Gary Cole, um, Laurie Metcalf, you mentioned Austin Pendleton. What opportunity did they have to come back and work with you, and how much, again, in, in planning, do you plan your seasons around trying to to serve this artistic group? Well, the way that the artistic office works at Steppenwolf is really on the model uh, of conversation. That is, there's a resident artistic staff and uh, with myself as the artistic director, and we have associate artists who are also ensemble members and who are resident to Chicago, and all of us are in a kind of constant conversation about new work and about projects for our ensemble. And then the ensemble will come to us also and say, for instance, Frank Galati, who's a member of the company, his production of After the Quake, which is his adaptation and direction of Haraki Murakami's short stories After the Quake, which people on the East Coast can see shortly at the Long Wharf Theater. Correct. Is um, brought brought that 
to me and said, gosh, Mark, I've been working with Murakami's stories in my class at, at Northwestern University where Frank teaches performance studies. One of the specialties of that department is adaptation of non-dramatic literature for the stage. Frank said, I, you know, this is really working with my students, and I wonder if we could get the rights to do this at Steppenwolf. And um, we contacted Mr. Murakami, and he, because largely because it was Frank, um, uh, agreed to have us adapt the stories, to have Frank adapt them. And well, you yourself are a doctor of performance studies? <laughs> yes. I mean, you are an actress, <laughs> but you have an, a significant academic degree. How does that play into to your thinking about the company and, and the work that, that Steppenwolf does? Well, you mean, does it incline me to do pointy-headed work. I don't, I, I don't know. No, you know, actually getting getting a doctorate at Northwestern where Frank Glotty, as I said, is a, is a professor. And he, Frank, in fact, was one of my teachers and one of my uh, classmates at Northwestern while I was getting my um, doctorate was Mary Zimmerman, who, of course, has gone on to a beautiful career as a director and at a adapter of literature for the stage. Probably best known mm. here in New York for her production of Metamorphoses several right, seasons ago right. at Second Stage and then on Broadway. Right. And she's got a beautiful production of Pericles playing at the Goodman Theater in Chicago, which also played at the Shakespeare Theater in Washington previously. Um, I think the exposure through Northwestern and in the doctorate program was really just to the, the, the probably to a kind of enhanced charter for what what held purchase on the stage. In other words, I was always interested in plays, but the question of adapting non-dramatic literature to the stage was very vivid at Northwestern and, and facilitated things at um, uh, Steppenwolf, for instance, like Frank's adaptation of Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath, the current Murakami. He did a production of Faulkner's As I Lay Dying and Ann Tyler novel previously. And as a result of people like Frank and Mary, uh, Chicago is also, that's become kind of a specialty or a signature of the city as well. There's a company of which Mary actually is a is a member called the Looking Glass Theater that does all new work. Those are people who came out of Northwestern as well, and they do a lot of adaptation for the stage. One of their sort of famous company members would be David Schwimmer. You mentioned before there are three different stages at Steppenwolf. You mm -hmm. also touched ever so briefly on the program that you do for the young adults, Steppenwolf for Young Adults. Mm -hmm. uh, explain what that is and, and how that all functions. And Right. Steppenwolf for Young Adults is our arts education program, and we through it we do two productions a year for student audiences. We do matinees at 10 o'clock in the morning during the weekdays, and then on the weekends um, early day performances for for families. Also as part of, and, and it's, it, but particularly in the last, last number of years, we have done not just work from the kind of established canon or the reading list of Chicago Public Schools, but we have also commissioned and created work for the stage guided by the reading list. So for instance, um, Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye. Um, we're currently, we, we have just opened a production which is based on Poe's House of Usher, but has been set to music as well. So we, we, we there's a, that that too has it. There's a kind of foot forward uh, initiative there for for new work. Also through the um, Steppenwolf for Young Adults, we do a lot of work with teachers directly with students through a mentoring program where they create their own work and stage it. So it has a lot of dimensions. 
But what is the age range for the young adults? We're not talking about little children. No, teens, really. Teens. Uh-huh. Teens. Which, you know, we've come to find out is the, the sort of lost demographic in the theater. There, there, there may be work for young children and, of course, young adults and, and uh, mature audiences. But teens, not they, you know, they don't want to go to work that's designated as children's theater. And, and Steppenwolf, that has always been where we've put our emphasis. You've also instituted a talk back at the end of the, the production. Yes, right? yes. Uh, always for the uh, that work, and also now as part of our subscription series, there are always talk backs. Even even in the regular productions, mm-hmm. not just the young mm-hmm. adults. After every yeah. free performance. Yep. Wow, that's quite something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some theaters do it once or twice during the run of a show, but to do it every performance. Yeah, Jen, what what happened is last season we um, premiered a new work by Bruce Norris, who's a playwright w- with whom we have worked frequently. And, in fact, we'll be producing another of his plays this season called The Unmentionables, which John Mahoney and Laurie Metcalf, as well as other company members, Amy Morton, uh, will be acting in. And Bruce's play last season, The Pain in the Itch, um, generated a lot of controversy because there was a child in that play and the child is exposed to some, you know, difficult language and difficult situations among his his parents. And it started this kind of flap in the newspaper and so forth and this question of child abuse as it pertained for that actor's exposure. And we realized, realized that the best way to deal with that was to speak to our audiences after all of those shows. And we loved the experience so much that we thought, gosh, going into a season of new work, this would be really helpful. And so while, as, you, as you're suggesting, it is you know, an, uh, work intensive for the artistic staff, what we get back from our audiences is so rich. Well, we're talking just as... Steppenwolf production, Red Light Winter, has opened here in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a show set with people about 30 years old. They're not as young as as, as the, the young audiences um, that we were talking about. But Red Light Winter seems in some ways to hark back to some of those productions that first introduced Steppenwolf, at least to the East Coast, mm-hmm. most notably the rather volatile production of uh, True West with John Malkovich and Gary Sinise. Is there a Steppenwolf style of theater? As people like people used to talk about Steppenwolf, it was rock and roll theater, it was right. hard edge theater, it was gritty theater, and and Red Light Winter seems to be part of that continuum. But is that a fair uh, assessment of the kind of work at Steppenwolf? It certainly doesn't suggest that the entire um, complexion of our work at all. I mean, you know, I. What I the way that I think about it is really that the theater has matured along with the individuals who started it. I mean, it has the same kind of phases in its lifespan, and the theater was begun notably by three young men in their twenties. And so, the idea that the theater would bear a kind of visceral energy and a muscularity, and because these were people who were from the Midwest, there was a kind of candor and frankness to the style, the the the, the acting style that they most admired they found on on film so a very personal real style of acting and the company bore that along for for a long time and i think much to its good and in a very authentic way and as the theater has matured as those individuals have matured the range of work their sophistication as theater artists has increased and just what what the purview is i mean i think it would be inappropriate for those of us who are now running the theater and part of the theater and including our our founders to be doing work as they face 50 the same that they would as they were 22 and the theater reflects that 
Well, to ask uh, Howard's question from a slightly different perspective, people from New York may not be that familiar with Steppenwolf because you're in Chicago. Right. Here you have Red Light Winter being produced in New York down in Greenwich Village. And if a person from New York were to go see your production, which is a bit avant-garde, a bit uh, racy, total frontal nudity, some language, adult situations, that sort of thing, would they walk away saying this is a typical uh, Steppenwolf production? In other words, to see this, would this be typical of what you do overall, or is this unique and different? No, it would certainly be representative of something that is at the heart of Steppenwolf. And to me, that is that the acting in that production is so real and so personal and, and so specific and passionate that, that that, I think, is what carries the day at Steppenwolf. And so while the material... Uh, surveys a large range of styles and levels of thought. It really the acting is is always at the heart of what we do, and for, and I think that this is one of the um, gifts that we have among our devoted audience, our subscribers. They may not love this particular play or that, but they are always vouchsafe a beautiful production with very profound acting. Well, what was the decision-making process and decided to bring this particular production to New York, Red Light Winter? Why this one rather than something else you've done? Well, you, uh, you know, we do our theater. I mean, we, all, we always feel like we're working on our theater in Chicago and for our Chicago audiences. And if interest should obtain such that it's possible to move it, we do. But it's not part of how we look at what, what we do. In this case, Adam Rapp is a playwright who... Ten years ago, when we began uh, aggressively to commission new work, he was among that first class of four writers whom we commissioned to workshop a piece. Um, and so we've always had kind of a relationship with him. When we read Red Light Winter and wanted to produce it last season at Steppenwolf, uh, and we're very glad to have him come in and direct it, it did beautifully there. Producers became interested and said, gosh, I think we should move this. Just to summarize the story of Red Light Winter, it's two guys who are on holiday, shall we say, in Amsterdam, in the red light district of Amsterdam. One of them brings home a young lady who's a prostitute and kind of fixes her up with his buddy. Right. And it's the relationship between these three people that develops in Amsterdam then later moves to New York. Right. That's basically it. And uh, love story, not love story, that sort of thing. Right. But a little bit, uh, little bit different in the presentation. Yes. In a very small theater on a very small stage with a very small cast. Yes. Are most of your shows... At that of that size, that 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 magnitude, or no? For th- instance, Red Light Winter at Steppenwolf was produced in the smallest of our three spaces, our garage theater, which seats about eighty people. Our downstairs theater, which is where the uh, majority of the subscription shows are presented, is a five hundred seat proscenium with huge capability in terms of its stage house. And then we have a theater upstairs, which is fantastic. It's a it also a proscenium seats three hundred, and this is where After the Quake is being presented. Well. As we talked about, you, as you said, that um, you know, people decide whether your shows may be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You're doing them for Chicago. It's worth noting the extraordinary influence. I mentioned, of course, that initial True West in 1982. And in preparing for this, realizing the rapid sequence of shows that came out of Steppenwolf, particularly in, in the mid-'80s, because you had the True West in 82 and a Nightingale sang at Lincoln Center in 1983, Bomb and Gilead at the Circle Repertory Company in 1984, uh, Orphans in 1985. I mean, it was it really was a remarkable series of exports. Mm-hmm. At this point, how 
important is the exporting of work? Because you continue to do it. You mentioned mm-hmm. Grapes of Wrath. We had the Song of Jacob Zulu, the production of Buried Child, One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest a couple of years ago. Even though the financial decision to move those shows is made by, by other people, how much does that play into how you how you think about work now? And indeed, because there's also international opportunities yes. for you. Yes. You know, I think, Howard, our, our real interest, of course, is, is feeling... A, convinced that what we have on offer wants a, a wider audience. So that that's part of the joy of it. And I think, too, that um, it, it's, it's, it always adds one of the core values at Steppenwolf is innovation. And, and that, then having to produce elsewhere, being given the opportunity to produce elsewhere, causes innovation in not just the group of artists, but institutionally as well. It's a, it's a terrific opportunity. It's fun to take work elsewhere. It's fun to meet pe- other people and, and see how they run their theaters and so forth. So it, it becomes part of this circulation of a conversation or a discourse in the theater. And I think the feeling that, that um, we're, we're fortunate to have is that there are ways in which Steppenwolf represents something about the American theater. For instance, when we take our work to Ireland or to London, many, many people there know the name Steppenwolf. I mean, it's something that they know about the American theater, so we feel proud ambassadors in that sense. Well, you're in the middle of your 2005-2006 season. You've already announced at least part of your 2006-2007 series. When you are putting together your your productions for an upcoming season, how much uh, emphasis do you put on performing for Chicago audiences and how much on, as Howard's indicating, the export market? In other words, do you when you produce a show, do you always keep in the back of your mind, this was one we can move elsewhere to another city? Or is that a secondary consideration? It's a secondary consideration. There are cases where we know but beforehand that a work will move. For instance, I mentioned Don DeLillo's play, Love Lies Bleeding. Um, the Kennedy Center had invited us to be a part of their American Plays series. In fact, we're the first theater company with, with this newly formed initiative that will be going to the Kennedy Center, the Terrace Theater, in, and we'll be going there in June with Love Lies Bleeding. So right from the very beginning, now, and that's helpful insofar as one produ- um, uh, produces the set and so forth with the idea that it will move in mind. But but really our thoughts are always how to make this best for Steppenwolf and for our audiences there. And, you know, interestingly, that's what tends to generate the best production and thus generate interest potentially in it having a further life. In listening to you talk, you you talk about the company so much and even almost a holistic approach to how things grow and the conversation and collaboration. You are now the longest-serving artistic director in the history of the company. Mm-hmm. How did you rise to that position out of this collective? Well, it, um, enormous good fortune. What happened was I, I actually became familiar with the company in about 1981 when I started taking classes from John Malkovich. I had just graduated from Northwestern University and, you know, was the hapless actor and waitress. I read a story where Jeff Perry, one of the founders, said the first time he ever saw you, you were naked and covered in body paint. Yes, we were. Do, we were do, John was directing. <laughs> Which is a nice way to meet people. Yeah. And we share that memory. Um, John was directing Christopher Hampton Savages, and I... Uh, uh, along with a lot of other college-age students, was playing a South American Indian. So uh, the great the great um, gift of having been part of that show is it's recognized as a nadir point in Steppenwolf's producing history and artistic life. And I was there. 
Um, but what happened? To, I, I so I knew the company. I was in various productions, and then also working on my own. As I say, went to graduate school, and in 1993, I was made a company member. A couple of years after, and 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 shortly thereafter, an associate artist, our. Artistic director at the time, Randy Arney, someone I knew for a long time who was also a director and actor, decided um, that he uh, didn't want to be the artistic director anymore. He had really um, overseen our new building in our current space, which opened in 91. And I think just the, the how he came on as an artistic director, what the company was when he came on, he had taken it to its next stage of life and was ready not to run the company anymore. Our founders, Gary, Jeff, and Terry... Um, were in charge of uh, replacing him. And I think in in something that's very revealing, they felt, you know, they had the opportunity to look at a national level for an artistic leader of the theater, but they really felt that the learning curve was steeper for someone relative to the culture than it was to the tasks of artistic directorship. And so although I had never had, you know, an arts management job, they knew how deeply I was a part of of the culture of Steppenwolf and loved it and took a chance on me. But the un- there's also the unique situation of you are an actor, you continue mm-hmm. to be an actor with the company, but you are the artistic director. So do you find yourself in situations where you're looking for plays that you'd sort of like to do? How do you get cast? Um, I actually don't look for plays for myself to do because the the company i mean there the, the, there's so many fantastic actors i mean i'm so busy looking for things for them i i um love so much being an artistic director and find it so gratifying that it's not like i i'm looking to acting to fill some kind of deficit when i do act and it's generally about once a season it's always really refreshing and so much fun but of course it's 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 also it's hard to do while you're being artistic director. So it's not as if it's just, you know, oh, gosh, now I get to be an actor. So, you know, it's a mixed a mixed experience in terms of taking on more work. Are you acting or have you acted in this current season? No, I will be doing Don's play, Love Lies Bleeding. Uh, what, what, what role are you playing? There are um, four principal roles and, and, and also a, a, a character who functions in the persistent vegetative state, as is stated in the play. And I play one of uh, the wives of the central character. You are certainly uh, one of the prominent graduates of Northwestern University. In fact, you're on their advisory council for the School of Communications. Is there either a formal or informal link with Northwestern or other schools, other universities in, in the Chicago area? Well, our, our relationship with Northwestern is really comes through a lot of personal relationships, which is to say one of our company members, Anna Shapiro, is in charge of the graduate program there. Uh, some of the designers with whom we work frequently, including... Todd Rosenthal, who designed Red Light Winter, the current show here in New York, is on the faculty there, works with us frequently. Dan Osling, who actually designed Metamorphoses, Mary's production, is also on the faculty there. So we have a relationship with their design students to do internships, and we also often work with their actors and directors in assistant positions at the theater. There are other couple of great schools in Chicago. There's Columbia College, and those students also will serve in our productions, as well as the DePaul School is there as a training ground, and Roosevelt University. So we have relationships with all of those universities. Does Steppenwolf have internships for students? Yes, we do. 
do. We have 20, at any given time, we have about 24 interns who work in all departments of the theater. As you talk about the relationships with the universities, um, I want to ask about, in general, the relationship of the theatrical community in Chicago. You are, the, you are our first guest who, who works almost exclusively in Chicago. And there has always been a sense of a very cohesive artistic community in Chicago that indeed doesn't even always feel compelled to go out elsewhere and look for work in New York or Los Angeles to, to validate themselves. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little about the place of Steppenwolf in that larger community and, and how, you, how you see the Chicago theater community? Because I think it's quite remarkable. Well, I, I think it's quite remarkable, too, in that I, I, I think that there really is a cohesive theatrical community in Chicago. I think that we feel very much in support of one another. I mean, obviously, we're looking, we look at one another and think, oh, gosh, you know. Uh, but but I think we're very, very happy for each other's success. There's the Goodman Theater, of course, with Bob Pauls and Rock Henderson at the leadership um, of that theater, Barbara Gaines and Chris Henderson with Chicago Shakespeare, as I said, the Looking Glass Theater, and some of the founders still, you know, artistically in leadership there. Um, Steppenwolf. So those, it, Steppenwolf, Shakespeare, and Goodman are really probably the three largest. And then, as I said, Looking Glass, Victory Gardens, which is a is a uh, recent Tony Award winning for best re- regional theater, a playwrights theater, Northlight Theater, which does a lot of also new work and new musical work, and then this whole host of small theaters that that, that are described as storefront theaters or off loop theaters, and we all sort of have trained at some of the smaller theaters and now Steppenwolf because of because of its longevity and I think because of its size in addition to the artists we also have an opportunity to sort of seed the ground for institutional leaders as well well it's very ironic that Steppenwolf came up being the young upstarts and now as you describe it you are probably part of the triumvirate of the major established companies in town what is the relationship to those those storefront companies are they are they now looking to to blow past you and and how do you do you get out and see their work and, and what do I you do see I see a theaters? lot of the work and in addition to um, the various other uh, streams of programming at Steppenwolf we have something that's called the visiting company initiative and this is uh, 10 years ago where um, I, I saw an opportunity to bring younger companies into our spaces. The, the advantage to them is, A, that the platform gives them visibility, but, B, that our own staff, production, marketing, um, fundraising, as well as the artistic staff, has an opportunity to interact with those w- with the colleagues in those theaters in that capacity as well. Because I think, you know, another core value of Steppenwolf being citizenship, we feel a responsibility to take that kind of leadership role and, the theater is one of those. It's like a guild, right? I mean, you learn from the practitioners. Of course, people go to school and so forth like that. But really, the idea is that you, you, all of us, I think, in the theater could name someone who was very, very important to our life and our, our, our life as a practitioner or as an artist. And we feel, you know, very fortunate to be able to provide that to younger companies, just as the other larger uh, companies in town. They are, I see them also taking that responsibility. 
Well, recognizing that you're probably not even quite at the midway point in the 30th season, as we pointed out before, all new production. Mm-hmm. Already you've announced at least some of the shows for the 31st season, the 2006-2007 season, with some well-known names on, on the list, like The Diary of Anne Frank, certainly mm-hmm. that's known, The Pillow Man, which ran to great acclaim here in New York recently, um, Harold Pinter's Betrayal. Uh, give us a, a snapshot preview of the 31st season coming up, and, and also the decision-making process, why you decided to go back to some known work? Well, it had never been our intention in, in, in creating the 30th season as as a season of new work for, for that to thereafter after be our brief as a, as a theater. Uh, w- one of the things that's been really delightful for us is to take work, that extant work, and be able to really have it be seen in a new way. In fact, I remember years ago, um, the, 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 some of the original company members would say that, in fact, the, their job as a theater had been to take work that didn't work the first time around and give it a life. For instance, they look at Lanford Wilson's Bomb and Gilead, which I think before that had not had a successful production. And it, that they, in many ways, that their very successful production of that play sort of put it on the map. And True West had had a famously troubled production right. at the Public Theater in New York about five years before the uh, Steppenwolf production came in and right. sort of was a revelation. Right. And then there are some of, some of the th- um, work that's more established in the American canon. For instance, Time of Your Life, Tina Landau, a couple of years ago, did a production of that. And I think that was sort of, wasn't that one of the plays that sort of famously was not supposed to work? And in, in Tina's production, it was just vivid and beautiful and really alive. And so our feeling about doing extant work is precisely that. And of course, next season, we're pairing Tina again with a very well-known play, The Diary of Anne Frank. Betrayal, we really wanted to do because um, some of our actors, Amy Morton and Tracy Letts, were quite passionate to do the work. We have a wonderful director, Rick Snyder, who's also an actor, who very much wanted to direct it. And of course, after um, Mr. Pinter having won the Nobel Prize for Literature, it seemed timely, and that we're doing in our uh, smaller theater upstairs. Um, the Pillow Man is something that I saw a couple of years ago in its premiere at the National and thought, boy, this is dead right for our company. Nice and dark and and funny. Um, and then there are a couple of, of new works, one being Sonia Flew by Melinda Lopez, which is a gorgeous story. And I one of the things that I find so intriguing about it is it links... Um, uh, immigrants to the United States who fled World War II in Europe, to that generation of people who fled Cuba in the early 60s, and then to our own American sons and daughters leaving our country for the Iraq War. In, in I think, a very effortless way, those um, three uh, generations are brought into a kind of discourse. Um, And then we're premiering a work by Tracy Letts, one of our company members, a wonderful actor. You've seen his work here at Bug, at the very same theater, the Barrow Street, where Red Light Winter is currently playing. I'm sure you've also seen Killer Joe here in New York as well. And Tracy has written for Steppenwolf since that time, Man from Nebraska, a couple of seasons ago. And his new play, August, Osage County is being directed by another company member, Anna Shapiro. So that will finish out the subscription series. Well, with that preview of next season and a, a good hard look at this current season at the Steppenwolf Theater Company in Chicago, Martha Levy, the artistic director at Steppenwolf, thanks so much for being with us today on Downstage Center. Thank you very much. Thanks, Martha. For the American Theater Wing, I'm Howard Sherman reminding our listeners that all of these programs and the educational and media work of the American Theater Wing is available online, on demand, for free from our website, 
www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Susten for Downstage Center. That's a wrap, and thank you.